The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Catherine Zock, your social worker with a microphone. I love my microphone and I love being a social worker and I love being on Voice America Variety, voiceamericavariety.com with my co-host, Lauren Deller. Lauren, how are you this morning? Catherine, you didn't say you loved me. I love you too. <laughs> I love you and I need you. And uh, which fits right into what we're going to talk about today because I'm a baby boomer and you're a, well, you're a baby boomer bordering on a Gen X. I'm a, I'm a, you're exactly right. I think I think actually officially the baby boomers boomers cut off as is it 66? When were you born? 65. 65. So you are a baby boomer. I think I'm officially a baby boomer. Both of us. I'm the cut off on the other end a year, a year in the other direction. They cut off. I'm not going to say the date, but they cut <laughs> off a year older than I. So we are we're right there. We're right on thing. But our guest today, Lauren, surprise. Lauren, like you like to have surprises. Lauren, I love surprises. Yeah, you do. You never like to know who's going to be on the show. No, I like it to be a surprise. Yep. Why do you? Are you more spontaneous? I, I don't think so. I think I have a need to be more spontaneous, and you satisfy that need in me. Okay. <laughs> At least I satisfy a need in some. Uh, I, oh God! Like, Plus, you know what else? The reason I like it is because I think I have a more like I don't. I can truly react to it. Yeah, and yeah. yeah, and you are organized, and you are a person who gets things done, and it's true. If I gave you the schedule of everything, then you would start putting, categorizing, figuring out what you were going to say, and that would kind of cut the spontaneity. All right, Jane Ferry Reed, she's a Ph.D., and she is a consultant. She's been in the business for, I guess, what, 20, 30 years, Pittsburgh-based speaking training and assessment firm. She's going to be talking about her new book, Keeping the Millennials, Why Companies Are Losing Billions in Turnover to This Generation and What to Do About It. It's a major problem. It is a major problem. Yeah, and, it, and, and it, you know, with an economic downturn and we're in such economic crisis, I mean, this really becomes a major issue. So she's going to be on the show later, folks, so don't go away. But, Lauren, here's another. Do you have anything to say? <laughs> I'm just here for you, Catherine. Good. I need you, too. We need each other. That's the way it goes. That makes it good. Here's a book, and here's something I want to talk about with you, because this is like you. This is uh, your area of expertise. Michael J. Berlin wrote this book, it, What Makes You Tick? He's uh. a big-time corporate consultant, political activist as well. How successful people do it and what you can learn from them. Michael J. Berlin. I found this really another one of those helpful books if you're either – in corporate America, you're an entrepreneur. This is probably more for entrepreneurs. That's why I'm bringing this up. I want to talk about it with you. How successful people do it and what you can learn from them. What he does is, Lauren, tell me what you think about this. He, he sort of separates uh, four main success archetypes. He interviewed, like, I don't know, 45 very successful people, you know, Steve Forbes, uh, Brian Williams, uh, you know, famous actors and actresses and stuff, and put them into categories in terms of archetypes of 
successful people. So the four categories were visionaries, natural-born leaders, do-gooders, hey, 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 and what was the other one? I forgot. Those were the, Well, let's start with those three. What do you think? I'm curious about the fourth one now, Catherine. Yeah. <laughs> Wait for that one. We've got visionaries, uh, which I thought was very interesting. Is there something about, I think visionary is a huge um, trait in a leader and in a successful person. I just think that you, you have to have a vision and maintain that vision. I agree with him. But he's saying that certain people who are successful are not necessarily visionaries. Like that, visionaries are people, they're able to see what others can't see, right? Uh, right? Exactly. And they are also the one that keeps the troops moving towards it, with that vision, whatever it is. Right. They have their inventive, uh, they have very inventive personalities. He says those are the people that change our world. Uh-huh. Right? I agree with that. But in order to be successful, you don't necessarily need to be a visionary. He describes people... Visionaries is people like, uh, I think it was Mark. Oh, I know. Here's one. This is for us. You know the founder, and you don't know her name. A lot of these visionaries, you don't know their names because they have just kind of created their visions, made lots of money, you know, done what they needed to do, but you don't necessarily know who they are. Uh-huh. You know Jimmy Choo, the shoes? Oh, the, the shoes? Jimmy Choo shoes. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> Jimmy Choo shoes are those famous shoes that cost a thousand dollars that all yes. the movie stars. And very comfortable, I hear. And comfortable and gorgeous, and they're a work of art. Yeah, they really but, are. I mean, they're right now. The founder and the president of Jimmy Choo shoes was Tamara Mellon. I never heard of her. Have you? No. no. Although I believe that um, I believe that Oprah had her on a long time ago. And I, uh, yes, you're right. She did, and that's the kind of person she saw a need for these thousand dollar shoes, five hundred dollar shoes, six hundred dollar shoes. Women are buying them like crazy, and if you can't afford to buy them for a thousand dollars, women wait until they're ninety percent off or eighty percent off. She had a vision for what? She definitely had a vision. Yeah, she had a vision. Okay, so that's an example of it. But you don't know who she is. No, absolutely not. But you know what? I don't know who she is, but that's, you're exactly right. But there's also someone else, you know, like Bill Gates. He had a vision, and we know who he is. Yeah, although I don't know that he would categorize Bill, well, maybe as a visionary. Some of these people, I guess, would do a crossover. But here's someone else. Okay, you don't know who she Maybe you do know who she is. Do you know who the founder of Oxygen Media is? Oxygen Media, ladies? We all know what Oxygen Media is. But do you know who the founder um, You know, she's on the tip of my tongue. I don't know who it is, but you're gonna, when you say it, I'll know. Tell me. Uh, Geraldine Laybourne. Oh, no, I don't know who it is. I don't know who she is. But she, no, I she, don't know who she is. But she had a vision for, interesting. Yeah, women needed a channel of their own, Oxygen Media, you know, uh, and I'm not sure exactly when she did this, but anyway, that's an example of visionaries, visionaries, people who can see what's needed and... Um, other people don't see it, right? That's a diff- that's a certain kind of a, of a uh, successful person. You know, that's one of the archetypes. The other one here's this other natural born leaders. Natural. So those are the little tiny kids that are naturally leading the kids in the playground all the time. Yeah, and they start. In the, you're so right. They start at Sierra's age. They uh-huh. start at you. I mean, you have a daughter three years old. The natural born leaders are right there. Can you point them out on the playground? You know, I haven't been out on the playground enough to know, quite frankly, to be honest with you, because when I go with her, I'm by myself. But when she's at school, my sense is Sierra's not one of them. 
I could be wrong, but she's definitely, because she's the youngest in the class, so she's not leading the people yet. But at home, I think she's leading the people. <laughs> she's leading the grown-ups, yeah. that's Definitely. Well, natural-born leaders, when they're grown-up, are described as people who can manage complex challenges on a national and global scale. Very confident in themselves and their abilities. They were born to the task, and I think that's true. There's some genetic component to that, whether or not they were nurtured by their environment, family, parents or not, but they are natural-born leaders, Barack Obama. Absolutely. But there's something about him, though, and not just him, but people that are those natural-born leaders, too, that I believe there's a visionary piece that goes with it. In other words, they can see through the challenge to to what is possible for the people that are in the challenge. Okay, but let's take somebody who is a visionary. Let's say, I know a lot of people who have incredible vision but they never are able to implement it. I agree with that. So I do agree have, with that. Do you, yeah, they have the vision. They'll, they'll, be, they'll say, boy, you know, in a year or so, they can predict what's going to happen with the economy. I have lots of smart people, smart yeah, people who yeah, are... Yeah, they can see it, they can but they don't do anything about it. That's right, so, and they're not natural-born leaders. They can't implement it. Here's mine. Oh, this is yours. Let's hear. Do-gooders. The do-gooders. Are you, Tell me about that one. Yeah, do-gooders. They get great satisfaction from working for the greater good, and they do it helping other people. Uh, management style, listen to this. See if you fit into these categories. We, uh, management style is based on personal contact and connection. Not surprising. So they do everything. They have to connect to people. They do it on a one-to-one basis. And they do good, and if they really do good, good stuff, then sometimes that also is trans- That usually is it's translated into success and sometimes into you know, monetary uh, success as well. So do-gooders. Uh, here's the last one. I, I'll tell you what it is. It's independent seekers. Independent? Independent seekers. We're talking about the archetypes for successful people. Yeah, so independent seekers. In other words, that they could do it on their own? Not so. They can do it on their own. Here's the description of them. They want to live, you're so right, they want to live life on their own terms. Do what oh, they on their own terms. They, yep. They try, achieve goals and change them frequently, but they're inspired and challenged. And this is really the key, Lauren, by a specific project rather than a position. And it's interesting. Uh, the person that I spoke to, the author of this book, he was saying that compared to that, that George Bush was an independent seeker. Huh. He interesting. He wasn't a visionary. No, definitely not. No. <laughs> And he wasn't a natural-born leader, so he was no. in the wrong venue. He was in the wrong place. But he could hone in on specific projects and accomplish them. I mean, that makes sense. He, you know, the author, he gave me an example. He said, you know, George Bush was able to keep our country safe, let's say, yep. during yep. the past eight years. You know, it was like his pet project. Yeah, okay, that was his pet project. But he was, that, that was it. So he was an independent, independent seeker. It's very interesting, I think, anyway, these different categories. you I can recognize some of these people. I don't know if you, you probably can also in your business, but definitely, yeah, interesting. And there, he's he's describing them as entrepreneurs, or because George Bush, obviously, you know, as president. That's. I mean, I think we all fall into one of those categories, don't we? Well, if we're successful, or if we want to be successful. Yeah. Well, here are independents who follow their dreams. Brian Williams. Do you know what Brian? Ind- Brian Williams, independent. He category. He interviewed Brian Williams. And Brian Williams was an independent seeker. Obviously, he's very successful, very, very successful. Not that these guys didn't make poor choices along the way or that didn't make mistakes, but the thing that kept them from just 
falling short or not following their dreams, even when they made mistakes or didn't make the right choices, was their motivation, that personal self-motivation. Being able to say, I made a mistake, okay, now what am I going to do about it and how am I going to change? And I would venture to guess that that particular trait, that desire to just keep going, uh, that ability to keep going and not let, not let your failures get in your way is true across all four of those categories. You're absolutely right. It's absolute, that, that is the one That's the one trait. I've been interviewing people for my book, too, recently. I interviewed a woman yesterday, and she is very, very well-known in intellectual property attorney um, space. And so if anybody works in that space, they'd know who this woman is. And she, I, amazing the challenges she kept finding along the way with her process and the huge high goals she kept setting. And yet didn't really matter what got in the way, yet what you heard about what got in the way, so many people could have used that as a deterrent not to continue. Yeah, exactly. You've yeah. got it. We've got 30 seconds left. Catherine Zox, Lauren Beller-Blake, you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com. And don't go away because Lauren and I are going to be back, and we are going to be back with our next guest, Dr. Jan Ferry-Reed. She's the author of Keeping the Millennials. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. If you want to put the pep back in your step, Chad Lafferty's has just what you're looking for. Dance is life. Life is dance. It's only about dance. It's about moving through life with style, gaining awareness of the never-ending, ever-flowing movement that accompanies all of life's activities. Dance is life. Life is dance. Broadcast every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Radio Network. Be sure to tune in and tap into the limitless healing that dance can provide. Can't stop now. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Emotional intelligence has been documented to be the most important skill for a leader to move up in an organization. Leaders Playbook will unpack what emotional intelligence is, why it is important, and how you can raise your emotional intelligence for yourself, your direct reports, and your team. Join Dr. Relly Nadler every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern, to the Leaders Playbook on the Voice America Business Channel. Your success, your success could depend on it. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. Welcome back. 
Catherine Zox Show. I am Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone. Actually, I've been told by my board, my microphone isn't working so well, so I'm really trying uh, to make it so that you can hear me consistently because we're having, I guess, some kind of uh, problems. I don't know with the sound. But anyway, I'm Catherine Zox, and uh, we're on Voice America, voiceamericavariety.com with Lauren Deller, my co-host. And now we have our guest, Jan Ferry Reed. She is a Ph.D., and she is author of Keeping the Millennials, Why Companies Are Losing Billions in Turnover to This Generation and What to Do About It. Uh, Jan is a corporate consultant. She's the president of Key Group, a 30-year Pittsburgh-based speaking training and assessment firm. She's done all kinds of programs for managers, employees at all the big companies, all the big corporations, so she knows about what she speaks. Uh, as the baby boomers retire and the young millennials, also known as Generation Y, they're the same thing, enter the workforce, this massive demographic shift is causing big problems for even the most successful companies. These millennials are highly sought after for their technological savvy, not surprised, energetic work ethos, and young hip attitude that can help companies connect with young consumers. But all is not well. So, Jan Ferry Reed, tell us why all is not well. Why, you know, we've got all these talented, smart, hip people coming into the intergenerational workforce, but uh, we have a major problem. Great lead-in, Catherine. And um, Joanne and I, actually my co-author is Dr. Joanne Sujansky, and she founded Key Group. We started to hear from our clients that um, there were things going on in the workplace, such as culture clash uh, with respect to what boomers uh, were expecting from the workplace and trying to adapt to millennials. Um, there are also issues with the millennials kind of jumping off the career track earlier than what their predecessors had done previously. So um, there's a lot going on, and what the millennials are asking for in the workplace are really um, things that relate to all generations in terms of the workplace of the future. But, Jan, what are the complaints? Because there have to be complaints because these millennials, as you say, they go, they work at a company, there's a big turnover, the company has to retrain employees. I mean, that is so costly. And you're talking about, in your book, you say billions of dollars, obviously, of money is lost to these major companies. But what are the specific complaints that the different generations have towards each other? Like the the baby boomers, Gen X, millennials, um, I left out a generation. Uh, the matures that are still hanging on in some cases. Yeah, the traditional <laughs> I don't want hanging on. Before 1940. Okay, so we got the matures. Uh, but what are the, compl- what are the what are the major complaints? Well, there are numerous ones. Uh, one is that millennials tend to work on a um, not nine to five schedule. Um, they blur the lines between um, the traditional workday. So one of the things they're looking for is uh, flexibility, and they're also looking for kind of virtual workplace. Um, there are a lot of organizations that are looking at results-oriented kinds of environments as opposed to just punching the time clock. Uh, another big complaint that millennials have is, you know, I'd like to progress my career. I'd like to make a significant contribution. I don't want to wait 25 years or 10 years or even the five years to get to the next promotion. So some savvy companies are really looking at ways to help them advance their careers, and maybe it's not moving up, maybe it's moving sideways, but giving them leadership development experiences earlier on um, than perhaps what some of the boomers had to wait for. 
So what's the response from the boomers? Because they're still there, and they've done it the traditional way, and then they see these changes or the potential for these changes in their company. How do they respond? I mean, they have to – yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say they, um, a lot of the response is, hey, I had to pay my dues, so now you have to pay yours. Um, in some cases, because boomers are hanging on in the workplace longer than what they might have anticipated, they're also game for looking at different kinds of work uh, contracts, if you will. Um, so sometimes uh, hiring back boomers or reducing boomer schedules or looking at the flexibility in terms of virtual work is just as advantageous to a boomer as it is to the millennial. So um, you have both sides of the fence, really. You have some saying, pay your dues like I did, and you also have some saying, hey, you know, maybe this is a better work environment uh, for all of us. So what can we do, I guess, well, before I ask that question, Jan, what have, are there any companies that have actually um, been able to do what you're saying? I mean, be able to make the connection and be able to keep the millennials and, and make the changes that you're talking about, flexible work time, those kinds of things. Have any major companies that, we, that we're familiar with that we know about? Well, one company that has been in the uh, news a lot is Best Buy. Um, they were one of the first to move to a uh, what they called a results-oriented um, kind of environment as compared to not. Um, we always hesitate to mention some clients versus others, but I will tell you some of the things that are doing that are pretty creative. Um, one is that um, they're uh, looking at what are virtual and flexible work schedules um, and looking at reduced work schedules or different hours uh, to complete tasks. Uh, some are uh, seriously looking at um, not so much just career laddering in terms of moving up, but latticing and looking at progression in careers um, in a number of different ways and the juicy assignments that I talked about earlier. Also, organizations, some very savvy organizations, are kind of trashing the old employee orientation programs. You know, the new hire comes in, the person sits down and listens to a download of here are the policies and procedures, here are the papers you need to sign, here's what you need to know about our company. You know, speed forward, and then you're at your desk or you're in your cubicle the next day. Instead, they're looking at very creative what are called onboarding programs. So they orient the employee over a period of time, sometimes three to six months, sometimes even six to 12 months, where they give them bites of um, organizational exposure. They give them opportunities to check out different parts of the organization to uh, get assignments or experience um, in various departments. Uh, they look at ways that they can develop their leadership skills. Um, and that way they're saying, hey, we appreciate your talent and we'd like to onboard you or get you up to speed in a way that says that there are lots of opportunities in this company and we're going to expose you to what those are. So what you're saying is they don't pigeonhole them right away in this onboarding. I hadn't heard of that. Did you, Lauren, onboarding? That really is a different way to incorporate people into the company initially. They're giving them lots of different opportunities. Is that it, Jan, to see where their specific talents lie, you know, within a six-month period? So they're not pigeonholing them, putting them right in their gray cubicle immediately and telling them this is the job you have, you know, a very specific job that has to be done? 
In some ways, yes. Um, for instance, there are a fair number of financial institutions that um, are, are bringing young people in and having them experience different parts of the uh, finance business to then decide where they're placed. In other cases where the organization is perhaps more traditional and it's not really possible to put a person, um, to not put a person in a particular position, they're at least giving them exposure while they are in that position to other opportunities in the organization or, as I mentioned, um, looking at leadership development skills that can help them to build their own skill set and talents and resume while they are working in the job that they were brought in for. Jen, we're talking about change, obviously, and bringing the millennials into the, the into corporations and keeping them there, which is the goal. But what's some of the good stuff? Aren't there some things, some corporate business practices from Gen X or from the traditionals or from the baby boomers that still work that you that companies are finding they want to, to not let go of in terms of business practices? Oh, that's excellent insight, Catherine. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one is, you know, uh, this whole idea of performance coaching, on-the-job coaching, giving people feedback on their um, workplace, their work ethic, their work results, um, checking in with them to make sure they're on the right path, um, giving them corrective feedback when they need to improve or enhance areas. You know, those are things that um, have always been very solid leadership management practices. The millennials cry for um, coaching. In fact, in some cases, we do hear from some organizations organizational leaders that, you know, gosh, you know, um, they're always asking for feedback and I always have to have face time with them. So in some ways, it's a little bit of a challenge to manage that, but people want feedback on what they do and they certainly like to be hooked to an organization that has, that contributes, that has value, that has purpose. So, you know, any focus on what the organizational mission is, the values that the organization espouses, what the organization contributes, uh, both to the community and the larger good, um, all of that are really solid uh, leadership and organizational practices that um, won't go away and shouldn't go away with this new influx of uh, generation. And Jan, we have a couple minutes left. I'm going to just bring up one more question, then we have a lot more to talk about when we come back from the break. But when you are, you know, you talk about mentoring and, you, and, and giving feedback and those kinds of things, what happens when the generational uh, the positions are changed? When you have a millennial telling a baby boomer what to do or giving feedback, you've got the younger person uh, as the boss. Uh, of the older person, I think that that can create some problems, problems in communication probably within the, the corporation. Sure, as long as they don't shorten their communication to text messages. <laughs> um, absolutely. And in, in some ways, this is also reciprocal with regard to development. We have uh, worked with organizations and uh, new hires um, to help those new hires or um, newly new employees in an organization to look at what they need to do to adapt as well. This is not just a one-way street. It's not just what the boomers need to do in order to adapt to the millennials. 
but millennials also need to understand how to manage appropriately. I mean, in some ways, they've been given a lot of leadership opportunities. They've worked in retail, you know, from the time they were in high school or graduated from high school or college. So they have experience in some cases to, in supervision. But when you get to a corporate environment, there are lots of uh, kind of P's and Q's that can also help that person to communicate most effectively and to get through to various generations, just like the boomer has to um, communicate with other generations as well. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a short break right now. We're talking to Jan Ferry-Reed, and she is author of Keeping the Millennials, Why Companies Are Losing Billions. We're talking billions in turnover to this generation and what to do about it, and she's being very specific about what to do about it, and you can uh, get her book at bookstores everywhere online to find out more, get more information. You're listening to The Catherine Zock Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone, Catherine Zox, and my co-host, Lauren Beller, on voiceamericavariety.com. Don't go away, because all three of us will be back in a minute. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Is it really true that nearly half of all marriages end in divorce? Get the answers to this and other questions about relationships on Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak. The program's devoted to marriage, divorce, midlife dating, and men-women relationships in general. Jim and his guest experts will have plenty of information, insights, and advice for you, all as part of a lively and wide-ranging discussion about today's relationships. You can listen Friday afternoons at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern, for Relationship Radio with Jim Duzak on Voice America. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on The Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to the Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll free number is 866 472 5788. That number again is 866 472 5788. Catherine Zox Show, a worker with a microphone. And 
my co-host, Lauren Deller-Blake, and our guest, Jan Ferry-Weed, author of Keeping the Millennials, Why Companies Are Losing Billions in Turnover to This Generation and What to Do About It. So we've had lots of good advice. We've had lots of from Jan in the first uh, half hour of the show, but she's back with us. We're continuing to talk about the topic because uh, there are lots of issues involved with these, this intergenerational. And we are talking, Jan, for those who are just joining us, we're talking four different generations, actually, in the workplace, the traditionalists or the matures, whichever you want to label them. Traditionalists maybe is more appealing than matures. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> For those who are mature. Um, okay, so traditionalists, baby boomers, Gen X, and millennials. You've got a whole big family there in the workplace with all kinds of good stuff to offer and some stuff that needs to be eliminated, right? Yes. Okay, so uh, the millennials bring a lot. We don't want to repeat the first half hour, but they bring a lot to bear on the workplace, very different kinds of things than Gen X. But one of the things you have mentioned in your book is the cool factor and the millennials. What is that? Well, um, millennials, and actually this kind of started with um, something called Cool Hunters, um, and it is um, a resource that young people use that looks at trends. Um, and a lot of times it's associated with uh, retail or kind of uh, fab environment, but we can also apply that to corporations and that uh, millennials do a lot of word-of-mouth marketing, and uh, what they look for is uh, what are the companies uh, that are unique and what kind of workplace environment um, do I find that I can advance my skills but that also um, is a cool place to work. And some of it relates to how they were raised. They do look for kind of state-of-the-art technology. Um, I heard someone say once, it's one thing to learn how to use uh, a computer or technology. It's another never to have known life without it. And so when they are looking for kind of a cool workplace, they're also looking for uh, what technology tools do I have to really advance um, what I do, to do it efficiently, to do it quickly, and to do it at the um, utmost uh, state of quality. Uh, they also look for um, kind of a fun work environment. I know one of my Boomer uh, colleagues said, are you really serious? Are organizations looking at how to make the workplace fun? I mean, it does uh, connote work equals fun. And, you know, millennials as well as other generations would say, why not? We spend a lot of time there. Um, so what is it that we can create in the environment like social networking, um, uh, intranet sites, blogs, things that help? And it's also part of onboarding sometimes when a new employee comes on, you know, who can they connect with in the company that are from different generations but also their own uh, to help give advice and to kind of create their circle of influence within the company. Those are just a couple of the things. Um, that kind of relate to the cool factor, if you will. All right, so cool factor, Jan, you're saying, and I hadn't thought about it this way, that's why you're on the show, but it's like you, you, these millennials know how to use technology, but the company itself has to have the availability of the latest technology for them to use. Isn't that, is that what you're saying? Absolutely. Yeah, and there are probably a lot of companies out there that don't have that, that would not be appealing to a millennial for that reason. Also, the fun factor because we've associated with fun. I think that's a whole attitude change. That's a whole paradigm change because fun, you're not supposed to have fun. At work. <laughs> that means you're not working if you're having fun. 
Yeah, and we have um, clients that do very creative things. And, you know, some of it is um, it, it not just the traditional perks of, you know, um, what are my benefits packages and those kinds of things, but what are rewards, um, recognition kinds of things in the work environment. I have one client who introduced a, a toy pink pony. It was kept someone doing something right. So um, the CEO in the organization is um, the authority to assign or to give that that particular award, um, and then they post it on um, the scroll on the in-house or in-company video so that everybody knows what the person or the group got the award for, and the video runs that week so that they can see what they did. I mean, it's just um, things that um, perhaps the so-called trophy kids that are sometimes um, the term that the millennials um, are referred to as, you know, they're used to perks, rewards, things that really make the environment fun and uh, energize people so that they produce more. Yeah, you're right. This is what they have been used to, you know, from, from their parents when they're in school and now they're in the workplace and that's what they're used to. What about this, though? One of the things I think the millennials do really well, and you mentioned this, is uh, in the book, is that they are able to access information very, very quickly. I mean, they, you know, they can research things very quickly. They know how to do it. It's not just that you have access, obviously, to the internet, but they know how to circumvent the internet. In, I mean, because I have uh, three boys who are millennials, and they do it very differently than uh, even Gen X and even than the baby boomers. So what happens when they get all that information very quickly, but their superior or their boss isn't able to do that? What happens? How does that play out in the workplace? Well, that's interesting. Um, it actually causes frustration on both ends. Um, I think on one end, um, what we've seen is, you know, millennials are frustrated. I mean, you watch them click computer keys. You watch how they come up with information, and um, you say, oh, my gosh, I, I can't even follow. We were on a webinar last evening with a millennial who was leading us through some social networking guidance, and, you know, he had the webinar up and the PowerPoint. We were listening on the phone, and he was asking us to go to various sites on the Internet and work while we were listening and while we were watching. And it was funny. You know, the millennials were like, yeah, there were moving through 5,000 different screens, and some of the boomers are like, wait, 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 um, I'm back about five steps. Can you, can you help me out here? Exactly. So the millennials become frustrated because they want other people to work as quickly as they and sometimes don't always feel that they're getting the acknowledgement from the boomers because in some ways boomers like traditional paths or ways in which they used to work that are comfortable for them. On the flip side, um, sometimes millennials intimidate boomers with the availability of and accessibility, I should say, to information and how quickly they are. It's sort of called, well, gee, how did you do that? You haven't been in this job that long. So, you know, you've got to fight through some of that as well. Yeah, that is tough stuff. I personally suffer from that with my, with my three boys when they come home. I mean, I have one of them who says to me, you know what, Mom? can't watch you get that information. <laughs> it may, he, and walks out of the room. Don't it's ask. It's too me. painful. Yeah, it's too painful. I mean, you and, and we'll say you're doing it like an old person. <laughs> what are you talking about? But if it's, I mean, which is just what you're saying. It's reflected in the workplace. Uh, I think that's a major issue, a major problem. 
Um, so what other issues would you say, some more of the most salient issues that we haven't talked about, because we have a few more minutes left that we haven't brought up that we need to talk about that you cover in your book, and people can also go online and buy your book and bookstores everywhere, keeping the millennials. But um, talk to us about, let's, let's take a, a, a couple other different, very specific topics that, with this intergenerational class, clash class and clash, actually, <laughs> that we that, uh, that the generations have to contend with in the workplace? Well, I think one thing is, you know, it's one thing to try to retain um, talent from all generations. And granted, the research does support that uh, millennials tend to switch jobs uh, for uh, more quickly and for a shorter period of time. Um, uh, some clients say that's four to six years, others um, as short as 18-month tenures. Um, but the other place to, to look is what's happening if we're not energizing and really getting the full contribution that we can from their talents? Um, it's one thing to say, yes, I want to retain them. It's another thing to say, how can I really maximize their full potential? And I know that sounds like jargon, but um, they are ready, willing, able, and very eager to make a contribution. And part of the frustrations, unfortunately, are seen as barriers um, to boomers sometimes perceiving that they lack a work ethic. They don't lack a work ethic. They become very frustrated and impatient if things aren't efficient and if they aren't able to contribute at the highest level. I mean, look, we've had, um, these are the products of hovering helicopter parents who told them they could accomplish anything in life, and darn it, they're going to try to do it. So what is a, a specific leader or a manager doing to really understand that person's talents? What are they doing? Uh, what is that leader doing to uh, look for um, assignments and opportunities for that person to contribute so you can get the full potential while they're there, not necessarily just saying, oh, gee, I need to keep them here as long as possible. I have one other thing. We've got one minute left. I do want to add to that. This is an, I hate it. Really isn't a negative note, but I think you know sometimes in doing things quickly and accessing information quickly and being to, able to do all the things the millennials do do, Jan. Sometimes they are not as accurate. They make mistakes. They're not as concerned with uh, quality. At least that's some. I, hate, I don't know if I want to leave on this note or not, but that I think that is part of it. That is some of the issue. Uh, we really we haven't addressed that, but. Um, you know, you can do things quickly, you can do things fast, but then there also has to be a whole quality issue, too, and not making mistakes and being accurate. Well, and it's, it's a double-edged sword because in some cases uh, quickness can mean um, uh, more errors. In the other case, they do have very high standards for what it is that they produce. So um, the, uh, the training, mentoring, and coaching to help them understand where perfection is necessary is really important versus, you know what, you can do this very quickly, just put it, drop it into a Word document or an Excel spreadsheet. This isn't going out to the general public, but in this particular report, you really need to pay attention to accuracy and perfection because it is an image of what we're trying to communicate as an organization, and managers can help with that. Yeah. Jan Ferry-Reed, Ph.D., uh, very interesting interview and book, Keeping the Millennials, Why Companies Are Losing Billions in Turnover to This Generation and What to Do About It. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. 
Thank you, Catherine. It was a pleasure. It was a real pleasure. That was uh, really uh, lots of new stuff that I learned, believe it or not, even as a baby boomer. (laughs) (laughs) Great. (laughs) So we'll take a short break, everybody. Don't go away. You're listening to Catherine Zox on VoiceAmericaVariety.com with my co-host, Lauren Deller, and uh, she and I will be back in a minute. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Total career success. What does it mean to you? Voice America presents a radio program dedicated to help you achieve your career goal. Even in times of economic uncertainty, you can achieve your financial goals. Whether you're a college grad, new in the working environment, or a top-level executive, you will benefit from the practical and proven advice on job search and career advancement. Join Ken and Cheryl Dawson every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, for Total Career Success on Voice America. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. Want to have behind-the-scenes access to some of the greatest minds of today? On Shift in Action, we feature leading-edge innovators who are building a more conscious, sustainable, and healthy culture. Host Stephen Dynan offers live shows with evolutionary leaders such as Deepak Chopra, Van Jones, and others who are creating new paradigms for conscious living. You can keep your finger on the pulse of the latest frontier work with our weekly transmission of inspired wisdom on Shift in Action, broadcast live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on Voice America. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. I'm Catherine Sachs, your social worker with a microphone on voiceamericavariety.com with my co-host Lauren Deller-Blake. And Lauren and I were, uh, we just had a great interview. We're talking about the millennials in the workplace and and the trouble they cause. (laughs) No, not really. The intergenerational employees that are in most corporate, probably all corporate environments, and also in terms of entrepreneurs. Now, Lauren, you work with entrepreneurs, so do you find the same problem? Well, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs have this issue in that, they're trying to hire people from all, you know, obviously all groups, and I'm seeing cer- certain people with a lot of turnover. So that leads me to it's not just, I mean, the issue is exactly what we're, we've been talking about the past half hour, that it is the difference in uh, the various groups, but at the same time, there's also something about you have to pay attention to your to whom you're hiring. You know, that's a whole other, like, who's doing the hiring and how are they doing that hiring process? 
So hiring has to be a lot more unique. I agree with that. And I think that she touched on something that was really valuable. Like we need to know with each of the generations which, what are their strengths and what are their lesser strengths. So when we're hiring for a job position, to be really clear on will that particular generation work with this particular job and knowing, you know, without judging the person yet. You know, first, if you're going to hire someone within a certain generation, know their strengths, know their lesser strengths, and will that work generically so far, you know, in that particular position that you have open. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but also don't you have to know as well or be more cognizant of this, how are they going to get along with people? Well, that's the whole, it's true. There's a whole other dynamic of when you have that wide-ranging group of people in it. I mean, because there are certain groups that you want to hire that really tech-savvy person, but if they don't have the people skills, we're in trouble. Yeah, if they can't communicate. If they it's a big deal. Yeah. It's a big deal. I mean, when I owned the Internet company and had 20, 22 at its peak employees, there was a lot of young people in that office, and they were great technically, but to find, you know, human-friendly, savvy people was a challenge. And the ones that were great and technical, oh, my God, they were gold. And they made a lot of, what happened to them? We wondered. They they continue. I mean, I stay in touch with a lot of them. They continue to do really well, and they stay in their jobs long-term because they're well taken care of because they are good at balancing both. uh, We're just right on the cusp. We're going into a whole new generation, I think, of of corporate culture. It's a whole different corporate culture, and it's kind of like changing. I mean, this is the process of changing and integrating all of these four generations, which I think is really interesting. It is very interesting, and I do think this next generation coming up, I think we're going to see a lot of people work from home, and it's going to so that whole, that's going to be a whole different thing, too, you know, of how do you interact with people from a distance, and is it all text message, as she alluded to, or is, you know, how do you interact with people when, because I do think more and more people right now, because of what's going on in our economy, are working from home. Here we are in my house. Both parents work from home. Which presents another problem. A whole other problem. Which presents people working at home. Did you know this? Most Americans who work long hours, eat on the fly, lead increasingly sedentary, isolated lives, which is what we're, we're living as a result of all of this and doing a lot of work at home. What's happened is, and this is a whole other issue, this lifestyle, alongside this lifestyle, depression rates have skyrocketed. Approximately one in four Americans will suffer from major depression at some point wow. in their lives because of the way we live, work, do business, all of those kinds of, you know, the, just in terms of our activities of daily living. So we've created another culture, uh, a very another difficult problem, which is something that I'm interested in, but I'm just bringing it up because uh, there is an interesting, I don't know if you've heard of him or not, he's a, he's a psychologist, teaches at the University of Kansas, and he says that uh, he's written a book called The Depression Cure, the six-step program to beat depression without drugs. Uh-huh. Yeah, which I, I you know, it's not that you necessarily, he's not saying that no one should take medication if they're depressed, but there are ways in which you can fight uh, depre- depression. And in many, many other things. And many, <laughs> without drugs, exactly, and many, many other things, because, well, our whole society kind of promotes that, the way we live, the way we work, the changes, the fast pace, all of that kinds of stuff. There are consequences to all that. And depression, Absolutely. Yeah, and depression is one of those, says he, and I agree. And he talks about, I just wanted to mention these because I think it's just, you know, we're here to help people, aren't we? We're Absolutely. That's always what I think most people are. Yeah. Well, not everybody. I'm a do-gooder. You're a do-gooder. It's true. You're an extra. You, yeah, you, I got it. 
do-gooders are here to help. So here are some things. Here are some tips from this The Depression Cure. That's the name of the book. And I didn't mention the author, did I? Dr. Stephen Ilardi. He's a Ph.D. Six elements in your life that you can change that will help you, not necessarily get you off your medication. I mean, I'm not a physician. You have to be diagnosed and you have to integrate this. But omega-3 rich diet, exercise, natural sunlight, ample sleep, social connections, and participation in meaningful tasks that leave little time for negative thoughts. I love that. That is, I mean, like, it can't get more well-rounded than that. There's one thing I don't think you said. There's a little bit of activity. Activity? Wasn't that exercise? Oh, did you say exercise? Okay, I missed that one. Yeah, I said, right after I said the omega-3 rich Oh, I was stuck on the omega-3s. I was waiting for B12. Put in your B12 thing. Okay, if you want to give a plug for B12, that's all it is. Go ahead. I'm only joking. I think more Americans need B12. It's I'm only joking. So, uh, you know, omegas and B12s, put them together. Take a little bit of extra both. It will make you feel good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, he says take the omega-3 in pill form because we can't eat it. Uh, you can't eat enough. You can't eat enough of it. I agree with that. Yeah, or you could... All of this you can supplement. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. He, he talks about exercise, and, you know, we're exercising, what, an hour a day at the most. We all know that, but that's not really enough. I know that if I don't exercise, I can feel depressed. I can feel down. I can feel sad. If I get out there and do my walk or my swim, you feel I, better. It's I so do. true. It's yeah. so true. Absolutely. And actually, studies, more recent studies are saying that we don't really need as much as we thought we did, but we need it regularly. Regularly. That's the key. Yeah. We need to do it on an ongoing basis. And this whole thing, Lorne, social connections, so uh, I was asking him, Dr. Alardi, I said, you know, does that count like social networking on the net? Like you're connecting all over the place. And what was his answer? He made an interesting point. He said social connections are fine like the millennials do, right? Yeah. But it's, if you're just connecting and you've never met the people face-to-face, that really doesn't help. If you meet the people face-to-face and then you continue the social connection. You're combining it, like you know the person or you meet them on the net or you connect on the net and then you have a face-to-face interaction, then you've made the connection. That makes a difference in terms of your mindset and your mental health. But not well, I have to say, I have to, I want to contradict with him just a little bit. I, I think it's not about, I think it's about meaningful conversation. So I can have meaningful conversation with people. I mean, I, in my work, I've worked with people for a year, 12 months at a time, Never met them face-to-face, but our conversations are int- uh, intimate's not the right word. I mean, in some ways it is, but people will mis- get misled by it. It's connecting conversation that actually advances their business because their business has meaning to them. So I think it's about, I mean, I think you can have meaningful conversation with people that you've never met, but it's, it's consistent, meaningful conversation with another human being. And you have to have the ability to do that. Yeah, I think that's express true. yourself in that way on the net without having face-to-face contact. If you don't, it's not going to work. Exactly. I agree with that. So it's a little bit... I think people think that, you know, having a, putting a Facebook message online is, is meaningful conversation. I, don't, I would disagree. I don't think that's meaningful conversation because I might have met them lots of times, but it's not meaningful conversation. But it, I'm finding it is an interesting way to stay in touch with people. It's a little bit different than meaningful conversation. Staying in touch with people you already know, that's, that's definitely a social connection. I mean, exactly. That, yeah, so, that, I think the difference is, is you're saying a social connection versus meaningful conversation. Well, we have one minute left, but it's what you said. It's like if you're just putting all these things on Facebook and you've got a zillion people connecting, but you're not really connecting. Exactly. And it's not really doing anything for you in terms of your mental health. It's just, you know, it's just 
it's, it's not a real social connection. Yes, I agree with that. Yeah, so uh, it's an interesting point. Anyway, we have to say goodbye, and uh, I hate saying goodbye to you. Another fast hour, as always, Catherine. Yeah, great talking to you. Anyway, Lauren and I will be back next week on VoiceAmericaVariety.com, The Catherine Zopp Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone. I hope you all have a great week, as we always do, Lauren and I, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday. Have a great week, too, Catherine. Thanks. Bye. hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.